0: that time
1: the sports talker here's tj walker
2: hello everybody and happy tuesday to you here 1450 the sports buzz we've got a jam-packed show for you today it's tuesday so we're gonna have rob doster on from nbc sports like we do every tuesday to talk college basketball and Whatever else is on his mind, which you never truly know, and a special guest today later on in the show, not that Rob Doster's not special, but you know, he's a, he's a Tuesday regular, but we're going to have Aaron Torres on who he's going to talk about his latest book at the top of the hour, five o'clock one or fun and done. Which it should be, he wrote about Kentucky's first season, John Calipari's first season at UK, One and Fun. And it's the behind the scenes look at John Calipari and the 2010 Wildcats. And the front cover of One and Fun has John Wall and John Calipari, and actually it's got Ramon Harris in the background, who wasn't a one and done, but uh, he's going to be out of the top of the hour to talk about his newest book. He interviewed over 30 uh, people associated with that team in some capacity, several players, John Calipari himself. So we'll talk to him about what it was like to interview, to write that book, to follow that 2010 team. And what other what other other questions you'll have, send them on in at T Walker Rivals on Twitter. You can call in 502 384 the Oxmoor Chrysler Dodge Jeep and Ram Buzzline. As always, joined by Trevor Kelsey. Trevor, how are you?
1: I thought I was going to be the special guest you were going to
2: introduce. You're not special because you're here every day and you don't really bring all that much to the table.
1: But I am special. That's why Mom told me how to ride that bus and 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 when I was younger. Boo. Boo. Oh come on, that's better than my my other joke, which was uh, one and fun. That was the name of my book on dating. <laughs> that well it wouldn't have been so much fun. I would have imagined, but hey, well, at least for me it was. <laughs> What's uh how, how's Trevor's week going? Do you have any fun Monday night plans? Uh, Monday night was a good night, actually. I'm glad you asked. Uh, take a seat back, Terry, and, uh, and uh, cross your legs and, and, and twiddle your thumbs as you uh, go through the world of bacon on a Monday night. Uh, got home a decent hour. Got to watch uh, Louisville play in their exhibition game, second exhibition game against Kentucky Wesleyan, uh, followed by a little re, uh, remake up on the uh, DVR of uh, little Monday Night Raw. The, National, the World Championship Tournament started last night, so always a good thing. And then I got to watch Monday Night Football and see how Sean Jeffrey do just enough to remind me that if I had started David Carr over Big Ben, I would have won my fantasy league and not been officially eliminated from the playoffs last night.
2: Wow. Officially eliminated this early on is pretty bad. Yeah, thanks for reminding and me. You saw my terrible team with my keepers and how I had to keep Joy Bell and Greg Olson. I am sitting comf- comfortably in eighth place right now, so I'm still I'm in the playoffs as of today.
1: And I was able to do that with a terrible, terrible team. Well, in my defense, I, I lost Big Ben for large chunks of the season. Obviously, uh, Jeremy Hill is a bum. Uh, Alshon, there, Je- Alshon Jeffrey was out for most of the season. Um, there have been a ton of injuries,
2: yeah. and there's been a, a, a seemingly a lot of running back busts this year uh, that aren't necessarily injury related. I had but, two of them uh, on my team: Forsett and
1: t- uh, Hill. I don't, I don't care about your team, Trevor. Oh. Well, thanks. I appreciate it. If it makes you feel better at this point in the year, I don't really care either. Did start a new
2: show last night, which is kind of crazy for me to do because I've already got way too many shows going on. But this is on Amazon Prime, which I didn't even know they made their own original shows. I knew Netflix did, and I I know some other— Hulu does now. I know Hulu did, and some other streaming uh, TV shows did. I didn't know Amazon did, although I probably should have guessed that they had— uh, this is called "The Man in the High Castle," Trevor, and it is about it takes place in 1962. But it's if the United States lost World War II, so the country split up between Japan and the Nazi regime. It's pretty interesting. I've all, I've only watched one episode, but
1: I'm I'm intrigued. The acting's not great, but I'm intrigued. That is actually an interesting plot. I, I, it I, is that, that that does grab me. But in fact, I, it's sad to know that Amazon Prime, I think, is the only. Like bonus paid service, I have Netflix, I have uh, Hulu Plus, I have all the HBO goes and Showtime goes. I have the WWE Network. Uh, I oh don't, ha- I what don't have the- uh, Amazon Prime though. It's the only one I think I don't have.
2: Well, they got free streaming, so if you want to watch it, you can. It is again the acting's not great, but it is an interesting concept. The first one, the first episode, and I've, again, I've only watched, lost one or watched one. Is that uh, Hitler's about to die because of old age and poor health? And they're talking about who's going to take over for uh, the Nazi regime and how he might want to take out Japan. So the J- Japanese on the west coast are getting freaked out because they have the west coast, and then uh, basically from Kansas everywhere east is the Nazis. It's uh, it's interesting. It's also kind of weird. So, it's just so it,
1: it's based in America, but in America that is run as you mentioned by Nazis in Japan. So who's is there like so? There's not an, an, a president actually. Then I guess an America? No president. So who would have been the last president at that point? Would have been, I guess, who was president in 1947?
2: Well, it it would have been the World War II president. Would have been FDR? Uh, And the war ended in this show in 1952. So, and again, I don't know if we would have had elections during wartime. So it would have, who, I guess it probably would have been FDR. Let's see, your president in
1: 1952 was Harry S. Truman.
2: Well, it wouldn't have been, but they, but it would have been FDR. I wouldn't imagine that. Well, okay, it would have been Harry S. Truman. You're right, because FDR, you. FDR died in 1945. Yeah, so and then and Har- Harry Harry S. Over Truman, Eisenhower. So Truman would have been the president as this is going on. And I'm sure they're probably going to talk about that, but we haven't, we haven't gotten that far. So it's a fun show. Yeah, I mean, not, but you lets know that's happened. That's all. That's all. I'll. That's all I'll talk about. Uh, it, you know, Trevor. If you start watching it, maybe I'll add some tidbits here and there. But pretty good show. If you're looking to add something, uh, but it is going to be a jam-packed show today. Louisville did play yesterday. IU played yesterday. Kentucky will not play until Friday for their season opener, and Louisville plays Friday as well for their season opener. I think UNC does. Uh, I, I'm not 100% sure if IU does. Wouldn't surprise me. That's the opening night. Talked about how I wanted to do my college basketball preview show where we get just a ton of guests on for very short segments, just make their predictions on this season, their final four predictions, their national champion. And Trevor dropped the bomb on me yesterday that he wasn't going to be here Friday, but there's some new developments there, Trevor, no?
1: Yeah, I kind of felt bad because, uh, I mean, you 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 had your hopes up for this show on Friday and I did kind of drop a bomb on you. And- uh, so I've rearranged some uh, scheduling, and I'm going to. Uh, I'll be here on Friday for you. Is what I'm. It's short. Long story short, I'll be here Friday, and I'm going to do uh, just drive through the night on my trip. That's that's how much I, I am dedicated to the show and to your world, TJ. Well, that's good. Well, we got to start planning for who we're going to get. Oh crap! Uh, I got to do that too. Well, I well, I, showing I... up was like just me doing enough.
2: I can send you, we'll, we'll work this out off the air, but I can send you enough numbers where it, it'll be easy on you, but uh, maybe have Jax do some homework since he won't be here Friday. But, uh, all right, so we're going to have Rob on, We're going to talk a lot of college basketball then. We're going to talk a lot of college basketball today. We'll talk some football later on. And we're also, like I said, going to have Aaron Torres on to, to talk about uh, his latest book, One and Fun, at 5 o'clock. Before that, Trevor, let's talk a little bit more about this Missouri situation, just for a moment. Uh, Okay. So, you you have this happen yesterday where they have their, Missouri has their little quad where a lot of protesters were camping out um, and and doing their thing. What was the uh, the campouts and the protests in New York City a few years back? Uh, I have no idea. Uh, it, It looked a lot like that. Uh, where they, you know, they were going after the one percent. Occupy Wall Street is what it was called. It just, oh came yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it yeah. kind of looked like an o- occupy the Missouri Quad, and uh, so the students, after the ruling that the president was going to step down and resign, they all, I, I guess, went to the quad to kind of celebrate or pray or do whatever they were going to do, and they all locked arms and made a big circle around the quad, and. I don't really know what sparked it, Trevor. I don't know how familiar you are with this situation. I imagine probably not that familiar because it has nothing to do with wrestling. But they didn't want media to be a part of this circle. They didn't want media to take pictures, and they were definitely doing their best efforts to keep the media out. And you had a lot of videos of media taking pictures and people getting in their face and saying no and They have to respect their rights, which in doing that, or disrespecting
1: the cameraman's First Amendment rights. Especially if you do it in public. I think that makes it free range for someone to take your picture, wouldn't it? Exactly. Exactly. You're spot on. And
2: So this one photographer, he's a student journalist. And, uh, I mean, everybody's given him so much crap, Trevor. I don't know how he handled himself in the manner that he did. He's getting pushed, and he's got people inches from his face face that you can smell probably everything they've had the last week for dinner and another guy that's filming this interaction he somehow slips through the line i guess people thought he was a student that was a part of the protest and he's walking by the tents and then a member of Missouri's communications department a lot of people thought she was part of the journalism part, department cuz her her former twitter headline said uh, welcome media everybody's welcome something along those lines and she gets in his face and says in he says, I'm media. And she says, if you're media, you can't be here. And she starts freaking out and wagging her finger in his face and yelling at him. And then she starts saying, hey, we've got a reporter back here. Who? I need some muscle to help me get him out of here. Crazy, Trevor. Well, this situation is far
1: from over. And Well, I thought I, it would be over with the fact that the, the you president signed.
0: Wasn't that the would, whole
1: purpose of the, of the protest and, and to make your, your statement known? I mean— now again, I said this yesterday. I I not really I I wouldn't say I have a problem, but I don't mind the not wanting the media coverage and to give interviews and and things like that because it does kind of tell me and I, and they could be doing this to to play to make me to fool me. Damn them for doing that. But I I mean it it makes me feel that, that they're not in this for just media coverage. Where a lot of times it's easy to stamp that on somebody looking for fifteen minutes of fame possibly, in in, in hiding behind a cause. And so I kind of get the feeling that it's not their purpose by doing this. But at some point, you just, I mean, listen, you don't want to do interviews, fine. But, I mean, you can't not let somebody take your picture. You can't not be pushing a cause of this magnitude towards picking up this much national perspective to to asking a president of university to step down, not expect someone to want information from you. Again, if you want to do that interview, it's fine. i am all more power to you. You, just, you can sit there and just look at the camera and not say a word and look like uh, what was the guy pre, uh, preacher guy on Friday Night Lights movie where they're interviewing him in the beginning of the movie during the, like, the practice and they're just asking him questions he's just looking at everybody, never says a word. You can do that. That's fine. But don't, don't sit there and get physical and, and, and just make yourself look bad by trying to prevent anybody from even showing your image or showing that you're trying to do something good. At some point, you kind of get over yourself a little bit.
2: And I don't want to say that Missouri and their students and their African-American community has won because that's not how this works. It's not, okay. you got what you wanted. You win. The culture has changed at Missouri. That could take months and maybe years for for the African-American students there to feel more engaged, more welcomed and to kind of change this culture of racism that existed in Columbia or allegedly existed in Columbia, although it certainly seemed like it did. It's going to take some time. So I don't want to say that they won, but they won, did kind of get what they wanted. And this was moments after. So why, you know, why the sour grapes with the media Two, Yeah, the football team did their protest, and, and that was going to make news reg- regardless of of the situation or when it happened or anything along those lines. But how would how would everybody in America have found out about that hunger strike, Trevor, if not for the media. I mean, the media has helped this Missouri situation out a lot to some extent, and rightfully so, because it's a situation that should have been brought to light, and it did, and it, it made national news. And you actually got the result that I think most of the country wanted. And then for Missouri students to just turn their back on, on the media is kind of mind-boggling. To me. It's many, a messy situation. It doesn't seem like it's going to be over anytime soon.
1: How many people start doing hunger strikes now to, to, to try to get that what they want to go their way because of this Missouri situation? Uh, I don't know how many, but you better be—you uh, better be damn committed to hunger strike. That doesn't sound easy to me. I mean, I could probably go a couple of days on, on what I have built up anyway without eating. More than likely, but nonetheless, I just was listening to Gary Pingle's press conference, and he referred to the, 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 the gentleman who went on hunger strike as—I almost want to say—he used the word hero to describe him. I thought that was a little, a little far-fetched to to, to use as to describe someone who just decided not to eat to, to get what they want. I mean, that's. That's the equivalent of something saying, calling the child a hero for making a scene of themselves in Toys R Us to get that toy, that get that Transformer they wanted.
2: Yeah, it's. I mean, I, I, get, I get, I get, I get, I get the,
1: the point the person was trying to prove, and I'm all for them wanting to prove their point. But I mean, I wouldn't use the word hero to describe it.
2: Yeah, it, it's the situation's obviously much more serious to them than it is to you and me, Trevor. Just from one, we don't live in Columbia. Two, we're. White, we we haven't been discriminated against. Wait, wait, wait. Rewind. Campuses.
1: What does I'm what does mom know? I mean, I'm good. <laughs> this changes so much. We're going
2: to uh, we're going to head to commercial break. We'll we'll keep this in mind. We'll talk more about this later in the show if you guys want to. I got a text in from Captain Arctic. All right, well, I'll read this text who says Bruce Feldman of Fox I said, made an interesting point today. Uh, said that any company leader or CEO can now be taken down by anyone, smart or ignorant, that has the ability to create chaos via building a social media mob. And and some of the most famous, uh, the guys with the most name recognition, not just with the teams they cover, but also on a national level, are the ones that can get their mob rallying the best, that can get their social media pitchfork people carrying the torches behind them and can spark them up the best clay Trey, clay travis is one of them that comes to mind uh it, it there's a lot of them that can do that and it is it, that's a good point by captain arctic is that any it, social media has changed the world it has changed everything in america where if you get enough people to support your cause there's going to it's you're going to have to push for change one way or the other and then but a good thing or a bad thing by the way yeah. I think we've talked about this on the show before. Sometimes I think it's a good thing, sometimes it's a bad thing. Yeah. You know, you, you've got so many people freaking out about that stupid Starbucks red cup because they're not going to have a snowflake on it or a Christmas tree or any of that. It's just going to be a plain red cup, and everybody's freaking out about it. But now you you have more people freaking out about the people that are freaking out. So you be, social media you be more
1: worried a, about paying six bucks for that cup.
2: <laughs> it's yeah. It's all there's always going to be pushback one way or the other. But Captain Arctic's right. If you can get a group of people that are going to be mad enough about an issue to be able to silence or at least quiet the people that are going to oppose them. It's, it's almost like a war. It's a social media war to a certain extent where the one, the the one with the most numbers is going to win. And when they win, it automatically is going to spark change without there being really without potentially people even having to do anything. Now, in the Missouri situation, people did have to do stuff. They were active. But it's funny how people can just be active on social media without even stepping foot somewhere, and it can provoke change. We're going to change gears, talk college basketball. We're going to have Rob Doster on from NBC Sports. Stick around. 1450 The Sports Buzz. We'll be right back.
0: Cadillac needs space to Where yeah, we hit a phone, she don't know. I think you're going to be okay here.
1: They have a thin candy shell. Hmm. I'm surprised you didn't know that. Now, back to the Sports Talker with T.J. Walker. I think your brain has a thick candy shell. Your, um, your brain has the shell on it. Are you talking? Shut up. Presented by Allen Electric. <laughs> There's a destination a little We're back. 1450, the sports buzz on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon after it
2: was awfully rainy yesterday. Weather's been pretty good for it being November. Probably means we're going to get snow here in the next few days, but no complaints here. Trevor, do we have Rob on? You didn't tell me.
1: Of course we have Rob on.
2: Okay, well normally you say, Hey, Rob's on. You 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 message that to me so I know to go into it instead of me having to ask you on the air.
1: Sorry not to get you in the loop. I was switching between Jack taking over the board and then me and Rob laughing. Always at blaming your it comments. on little Jack.
2: We got Rob Doster, NBC Sports. We've got this intern, a sixteen year old intern, Rob, named Jack, 17. who's helping out seventeen, who's who's working <laughs> his butt off, working his tail off, and every time we have a problem at the station, Trevor blames it on poor little Jack.
3: Well, I mean that's the problem with having Trevor as one of your employees. Like, why would you want an intern to learn from Trevor? Like, I, I you know what? I, I don't know, Jack. Jack, you might be a really nice guy, but like, whatever Trevor tells you was probably going to be wrong, and it's probably going to be a bad idea.
0: I'll keep that in mind. That was so Jack. Like, I, I so like I totally believe that Jack's
3: doing stuff wrong because Trevor probably told him to do stuff wrong.
2: And they, he, Jack had to go back to his teacher. And for his internship evaluation, and Trevor had to grade him on how he's doing. And Trevor gave him an average on his dress code. Rob, if you could see the way Trevor dresses every day, <laughs> it was unbelievable.
1: Well, first of all, dude, who's hating on the I'm on Shorts uh, and Sonic t Trevor's Sonic's friends t-shirt. with me
3: on Facebook, dude. Trevor's friends with me on Facebook. So, like, I see his pictures. I know what he dresses. Like.
2: Trevor's pictures on Facebook are like the Always Sunny, where they try to get a dating picture for Charlie after he's been stung by all those bees, and they get really close to his face. Do you know what? I'm, do you watch Always Sunny, Rob?
3: I know exactly what you're talking
2: about. It looks just like that. Those are the equivalent of Trevor's pictures. Uh, before we get into sports talk, Rob, I wanted to ask you this. Uh, my brother is getting married for some reason. Oh, Chase is waking up. Is that little baby Chase? Yeah, that's Chase. He's trying to say hello. Wow, hello, Chase. Uh, you want to know what he Rob, just
3: said? He said, "He said you're crazy for thinking that Tyler Ulis and Jamal Murray will be John Calipari's best backcourt." <laughs> we're
2: we're gonna we're gonna get to that, and I, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to do it and talk about it. First, let me ask you this: Have you ever been to Atlantis in the Bahamas, Rob?
3: No, I have not.
2: Have you ever been to the Bahamas? Uh,
3: yeah, I I went there once. It was like a stop on a cruise. It was real rainy the day we were there. It was like a week okay. before Hurricane hit.
2: All right, so uh, my brother is going on a bachelor party, and for somehow he has a friend that has a house in the Bahamas, so we don't have to play, we don't have to pay for a place to stay. But they're debating whether or not taking a flight into Atlantis and in Nassau, and that's like three hundred dollars more and staying a night there, and they've got uh, casinos and they've got the works. It's it's an awesome place, or just going straight to the house for about three hundred dollars less. For a bachelor party, which one would you prefer, Rob? And this might be the final say and what we decide to do.
3: I mean you gotta go to the casino, dude. Like why you gotta pay you? a
2: little gotta pay a little more and go to the casino? I'm I'm with you actually.
3: Yeah, the so go there like to save money. You don't
2: have to spend a long time you know what? You don't even
3: need to stay the night there. You could just go there and like hang out and then the next day or the next morning go on down to the beach house and spend the whole day at the beach. But like you wrong spending cool that first night like getting drunk and losing money, gambling.
2: My brother's listening. I hope he takes your advice uh, to heart because I, I think that's probably the way to go. You only—it's a bachelor—it's a dual bachelor party too, so it's two and one. You pay a little more and you get a lot more out of it. I agree. Uh, so you don't think you don't think Jamal Murray, Tyler Ulist will be John Calipari's best backcourt? It doesn't sound like Chase agrees with that either.
3: No, man, because Chase knows that John Wall and Eric Bledsoe are the thing. Like he okay. know, he remembers that he wasn't. He what were you sixteen at the time? Me. Yeah, but those those, those are your oh drinking God. days.
2: I was I was night I was nineteen, but yeah,
3: 2010. So you were just starting college, All right? So you know it is understandable. It was kind of a haze for you back then. Yeah,
2: you know that's 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 when I was pledging in my fraternity, and yeah, it, sure. But that's that's beside the point. Right, listen, if you want to rank those four guards, Trevor, and, and not Tyler Ulysses freshman year, we're, we're cheating a little bit and letting him get into year two. Did you just go if wrong you had a, Trevor. It, it, probably. It, right, because I'm just so sick of talking to you that it's just on my mind that I always say Trevor. But Rob, Ultimate insult. I, I, I know, I really do apologize. I hope you didn't hang up. Uh, but if you had to rank those four guards as college guards, how would you rank them? John Wall, Eric Bledsoe. You'd go one, two there? and this. But then again, you have kind of lost your crele- credibility with ripping on Jamal Murray for the last few months. Dude, like, but I'm right
3: about Jamal Murray. Like, he he's going to be good, but he's not going to be as good as Eric Bledsoe, and he's not going to be as good he as John definitely Wall. Definitely
2: be he will definitely be better than Eric Bledsoe. That much is a guarantee. Eric Bledsoe averaged 11 points and three assists in his freshman year. I can oh, guarantee you, Jamal. He Murray. He played is on a team that. that
3: had John Wall and Marcus Cousins and all those other guys. Like he was the fourth. So this option. is going to be
2: a team that has Jamal Murray, Isaiah Briscoe, Alex Poitras, and Scalabissiere. What's and, your point? And
3: Jamal, Jamal Murray, at worst, is going to be option 1B on that team. So it's incomparable. What was what was you can't compare Jamal Murray's stats to Eric Bledsoe. Eric Bledsoe was like the fourth option on a team that had DeMarcus Cousins. He
0: was third. He had John
3: Wall. He
2: was third. So, third. Yeah, so, and, and Jamal you, Murray it, it, would You be first. can't compare
3: the numbers. You can't compare the numbers. If you're asking me who would I rather have, freshman year Eric so, Bledsoe or freshman year Jamal Murray, I'd rather have Eric Bledsoe. So... John Wall and that, average, and that, and that doesn't that doesn't change the fact that John Wall is so far and away the best player out of that group. Like, it's not even it's not even arguable to me that John Wall is And was I would
2: the best I, I would have group. I would have John Wall number one, but then I would have Jamal Murray, then I would have Tyler Eulis, and then I'd have Eric Bledsoe. The the well, the, first uh, of all,
3: first of all, you got that order wrong. It's Tyler Ullis and Jamal Murray. It's not.
2: And I don't no, think it, I would say, it, it, and you know no, what, I probably would. From I love you, but you were just so wrong about Jamal Murray and how good he's going to be this year.
1: All right.
2: I mean, you you can we'll
3: see. Like the the season starts on Friday, so like that whole argument will be gone. Like we'll be able
2: to see. Yeah. Kind of spitball for me what you think Jamal Murray's numbers will be.
3: My guess is he'll average 15, 3 assists, probably 3 turnovers and have shooting splits that are like 40, 35, 75, thirty-five, seventy-five—something
2: along those lines. How many rebounds? He's really good, he, he, and when he's a great rebounding guard. Oh,
3: okay, and.
2: But well, I, I, I was asking for your averages for him. You didn't mention the rebound. I don't know,
3: like like four rebounds a game. Whatever, like normal numbers for a guard. I don't think he's not going to be averaging like nine rebounds a game. He's not going to be posting triple doubles. He's not going to be putting up Chris Dunn or you know Ben Simmons kind of numbers. It's going to be like fifteen and three. He's are gonna turn the ball over some, he's gonna be pretty efficient. he's gonna be streaky. He'll have nights where he goes for 27 and you tweet at me that Jamal Murray is the best player <laughs> since, you know, Michael Jordan, and it'll be nights where he's one for twelfth on the floor, and you won't be anywhere to be found. And you probably <laughs> he'll do that on a Monday night, and then Tuesday your radio show
2: will get canceled. I
0: don't think <laughs> he, that
2: that, that, that I, I don't think he's going to have those those 1 to 12 nights and you say he's not going to have triple doubles he almost did in his first exhibition game of his college career. He'll who be was close it against? To a few cares Who cares who is against? They're going to play crappy teams all year. It, it's not like they will only play good teams from here on out. Yeah, they got plenty who is, of terrible who, teams on the schedule.
3: Who who was it against though?
2: It was against Ottawa from Kansas. And not and, what,
3: and what what division do they play in?
2: They play in NAIA Division Two, but and again, you you're, this is nothing new to me. There, there you go. There you but go. But he came close to doing that too. Do you think Albany is going to stop him from potentially having a triple double if he wanted to on Friday night? Did you know that LeBron
3: James once showed up at a middle school practice um, and like he was awesome? He was Did talking he? on everybody at a middle school practice.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay, that's a that's a fun fact. I'm not. I'm again. I'm not. I've seen Jamal Murray's one game against Ottawa as a season outlook. I'm doing that from everything I've seen from him, from the Pan Am games to watching him back as a high school prospect. Hey, you've missed the boat on him, Rob, and I thought you were starting to come around, but it seems like your your pride is taking you a step back.
3: No, 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 dude. I didn't, I didn't. My pride is not taking me anywhere. I haven't changed my truth. Okay. I've, I've been saying the exact same thing. I, I haven't changed my thought process that he is overrated. Um, since, like, since the first time I saw him. Or since it got to the point that, like, people were talking about him as being, like, I don't know, like, the next superstar freshman, like, talking like he's going to be the next Steph Curry, because he, he's not. Like, people that are saying this are, are I don't want to say they're going to be disappointed, but, like, he's not, he's not that level. There's no freshman in this class that is going to be that level. I even think that, at this point, Ben Simmons is going to be overrated entering the season. Like he's super talented at all, but just can't put on a list today that to compared him to LeBron James. Like, come on, he's he's six foot ten. He can handle the ball. He can pass, but he's not LeBron James.
2: I did and like just, your comparison there of Royce White is probably a better comparison for him. Right? But which like that, a, that's that's a huge that's a huge compliment because Royce White was dominant his last year of college. I mean, unbelievable. He really
3: was. He was awesome, and he was the 16th pick in the in the NBA draft that year. Like he was. He was a very, very good college player. That probably would have been a pretty good pro had he, you know, been able to to figure everything out with you know Go all the points. extra stuff that yeah all the all the extra stuff that he had going on. But he was not LeBron James. Like LeBron James is a freak of an athlete. He still is. He's been in the league what fourteen years. Yep. He was probably. I don't think that you will ever see a more athletic player at his size. Or a more athletic person at his size, you know, ever. He was 6'8, 275, and there was an. You, you probably could say that he was, you know, the best perimeter defender in the NBA in his prime. You're never going to see that again. And to compare someone like Ben Simmons to him, like Ben Simmons is not an elite level athlete like that. It's not even close. Like, he's versatile. He can pass. He can handle the ball. Like, you can run offense through him, which is you know, kind of what you can do with LeBron James, but there's so much more that LeBron James can do. And, like, this idea that Ben Simmons is going to come in here and average 20 points, 10 boards, 9 assists, 4 steals, and 3 blocks is just like, it's a little misguidance, put a little too much pressure on him. Like he, is LSU even a preseason top 25
2: team? I'm not a 100% team? sure.
3: I don't, I don't know if they are. We didn't have them preseason top 25. I know CBS didn't have them preseason top twenty-five.
0: I the think they probably should have. be
2: right around twenty-five. I, I would probably put them right around twenty-five. I mean,
0: they, they're going to be when, when you look at their, their roster on. I mean, they're number nineteen. NBA roster,
3: yes, when you when you look at their roster, yes, like absolutely, 22. they should be a top twenty-five team. The problem is, and, and I'm sure you're not going to disagree with me on this, is that they are coached by someone that hasn't really proven to be able to take advantage of talent.
2: Uh, that's 100 percent accurate. 21 in the AP poll, 19 in the coaches poll. I would have them around that. I, I do think they'll be talented. I didn't read that ESPN article that you're referring to. And we're talking with Rob Dosser, and BC Sports. What uh, did they compare Thon Maker to Kevin Durant? Because uh, it seems like every year you've got to compare <laughs> no, somebody to LeBron. You've got to compare somebody to Kevin Durant. You've got to compare. Uh, you had to used to compare somebody to Kevin Love, but he's kind of fallen off the map now. Now you got to compare somebody to Russell Westbrook. So do they make all those comparisons?
3: No, there was actually no Westbrook. Thankfully, they compared Scow to Lamarcus Aldridge, which you know I actually think is perfect. Um, face of big man that shoot the ball well, uh, really good in isolation. Um, I, I just I, I think that is a perfect comparison. I'm blanking on who they compared Jamal Murray to. Trevor, if you scroll through uh, Jeff Goodman's Twitter feed, you'll find it. He tweeted it out about ten o'clock this morning. Um, right. Really? But compared there was some other. 50... Go on. Sorry. I don't know. Like it, it had all of the top ten. friends. like Henry Ellison, the kid at Marquette, they they compared to Dirk, which I kind of like. Um, they said that Steven Zimmerman is going to be Greg Monroe, which I absolutely love. I think that's a perfect comparison for him. Um, so they like they did a pretty good job with it, but they compared Benson to LeBron James, which is just like it's dumb or clickbait or whatever. Like I don't know. It just that, that no, no, it just yeah. doesn't work. And yeah. my larger point is that. I don't think anybody in this class is, like, people have been saying this since, like, 2012, but the 2015 class is weak. And I can't get my head around this idea that Jamal Murray, who, like, was barely top 10 in the class until, you know, like, the last, what, until, like, April or so, maybe even May. Like, the idea that a guy that wasn't top 10 in this class was going to come in and be the top player in the country. On a team where he might not even be the best point guard on his roster, like I no, I just I can't wrap my head around that. I I think it's I think all he's done throughout his um, his, his career at the lower levels is prove that he is very very good when he's good and really really bad when he's not good. I think he's streaky. I think he's going to have huge games. I think he's probably going to end up beating Kentucky's league scorer, and I think he's going to do it in an inefficient manner. And I don't think there's any way he can be in the same conversation as a John Wall, at least at this point in his
2: career. But in in all honesty, though, how many games have you seen him just be terrible? Because I I feel like I've seen him a lot play live in high school and back in AAU when he, I guess, was a rising junior It a really long time ago. Uh, But even in the Pan Am games, how many times have you seen him play horribly? Because I haven't seen it once.
3: Well, in the game he had where he scored 20 against Argentina. He got hot. We, we talked about this. He got hot for but about that, but, five minutes. But the game is 40 minutes. Yeah, that's fine. But the rest bro. of the game, he was not good. Against the U.S., he was not good for the first, you know, three and a half quarters. And then he took over down the stretch. And in between that, he had, I mean, he had he had some moments he was good at times. He was not good at times. But I, I just, even at like the high school level, AEU, like I watched him play that entire last peach game that he went to. And he never got to the point where he really, like, stood out. I didn't ever sat there and said, like, oh, wow. That's the next Steph Curry right there.
0: And, yeah, yeah he was awesome that, at
3: the but, Nike Hoop Summit, but, you know, you hear conflicting but, reports about how good he was in practice, you're, and you talk about 30 points and six assists in an All-Star game. Like, that's really good, but it's also an All-Star game. So, you know, I, you're, time you're,
0: will tell. I don't
2: know. I don't know if the I would call the Nike Hoop Summit an All-Star game per se because uh, it is, but there's actually some pride that goes into that game, unlike the McDonald's or the Jordan Brand game. And, and I just feel like you're being a little nitpicky saying, yeah, he's had bad stretches in games when he's a 17, 16-year-old kid. Obviously, he's going to have bad stretches. What all? What what five-star player has not had bad stretches at some point in their career? I well, again, I don't. He wasn't
3: he wasn't a 16-year-old kid. Like he's he 19 years old right now.
2: I don't know if he is 19 years old now, but I, he reclassified, so he should be a senior in high school. So my guess would be, you know. Yeah, but it's
3: 18. also like the way the, the the Canadian thing; they always end up being a year older, right? Like that's how Dylan Brooks was able to reclassify and enroll right away, and Andrew Wiggins enrolled and right away. Like, isn't that? They end up being well, like a year old. So I think I think he actually is 19. Someone told me the other day that he's 19.
0: He's 18.
3: I
2: can confirm he's 19. Yeah,
3: he's 19. Yeah. Yeah. So how old was he? Was he? Is his birthday been since it's, the? It's, um, in,
2: it's in February, so he'll turn nineteen this year. So last, so he year was nineteen
3: during the the World University Games. He wasn't a sixteen-year-old out there during the World University Games. He
2: was an eighteen-year-old during the Pan Am Games.
3: Pan Am Games, yeah.
2: He was a, he, he was eighteen. His birthday's in in February, so uh, still. So just wait, he turns nineteen
3: ago. this February, or he
2: turned nineteen he, last? February? He will turn nineteen in two thousand sixteen. All right, gotcha. Okay, uh, one last question before we let you go. This eligibility issues with Taco Falls, which is a, a fun name and a fun player to watch, and Sheck Diallo. Season starting on Friday, Rob. What, what's going to happen here?
3: Man, you know what? Like, I, I don't, I don't think any of them are going to have this situation finished by Friday. I don't think there's going to be decisions made by the NCAA by then. Which is, you know, just I, if you can't get this stuff done in time, like, why are you putting charges? You know, first of all, the incidentally shouldn't even be the ones deciding initial eligibility. Like, where, since when is is this association the ones tasked with determining what students at college can choose to enroll and, and decide is strong enough academically for them to take their classes? Like, the whole point colleges have these things called admissions offices. I don't know if
1: you've ever heard of them,
3: but their entire reason for existence, the entire reason that people are employed and put in that office, to determine whether or not people admitted to the university are going to be able to succeed academically, and those people are in charge of determining whether or not they can accept these high school basketball players. That's why some kids can't get into Stanford, but they can get into Auburn. Like that's just the way it goes. And I don't understand why the NCAA is doubling down on this stuff. Like you don't—they they shouldn't have to. They shouldn't be allowed to be in charge of determining if a university wants to let a student enroll. Um, and be a member of their academic community. It just, they should not be in charge of that. They're doing double the work, and they can't get it done in time. Like, even if you, like, you can disagree with that if you want, but but if you can't get it done in time, like, it's just unacceptable to me that there's so many kids right now that have their eligibility up in the air and basketball starts in three days. Like, it has to be done by then. It's not acceptable for them not to be cleared
0: by then. And the other part of it is is that I think that
3: the kids should be cleared until they're proven... That they shouldn't, that they're not allowed to play. You know what I mean? Like, waiting, the NCAA needs to come out and find something that says these kids should not be eligible and pull them out of games instead of not letting them play until they're determined to be eligible. Like, they have it backwards. It's guilty until proven innocent.
2: I I, I think it's an unfortunate situation as I was, you know, I I followed Check D'Allo's recruitment pretty closely, and he he seems like a great kid, seems like a smart kid, and his, his guardian seems like. Uh, a good guy yeah, from arm's length away, and then Taco Fall, was uh, he, he seems very smart, especially his backstory. So I, I hope. Here's both the thing about taco clear. like, but like, this well, is here, here, here. wait, mind, Here, wait. You tell me about Taco in a second. But first off, to your point about the admissions de- uh, departments at each university, uh, don't you think the NCAA needs to make sure that they're doing their job and that they're not lying? Because we have had some incidents, and not to you know point right to UNC, where some academic issues at universities aren't taken care of. So I, I'm I perfectly okay with the NCAA looking at academics and making sure they're cleared and everything falls into the right place so they can get on a college campus because admissions departments can lie, Rob, and they have lied in the past. Second, Yeah, but that's, on the, that's, on, that's on fine. The,
3: but the problem with using the North Carolina example there is that that was a school issue that turned into a basketball issue. That was – that was.
2: But it would be, be a school issue with clearance regardless. No,
3: listen, that started in nineteen ninety two Free. That started at a time where this guy, Julius Nyangor or whatever his name is, decided he was gonna start giving classes away to free for free to students and, and, and you know, that was an academic thing. And then the athletic department found out about this loophole with the y grades and in like the early two thousands when they started funneling their kids there. That wasn't created specifically so that basketball players and football players could stay eligible. That was created, and then the basketball team found out about how they could get these classes and these grades to stay eligible, and then they started funneling kids. So that was, that, that, that was wasn't, that an academic issue. That wasn't an admission department issue. That wasn't the athletic department creating fraud. That was the athletic department taking advantage of fraud that was already happening in the university. And that doesn't excuse it. it, just, it it's different when you frame it that way.
2: It is. I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it's just a point of that academics shouldn't just be handled by the universities, and admissions maybe shouldn't just be handled by the universities because those universities want those players to be eligible. They're gonna do what they can to make sure their guys are eligible. They don't. You know, who's What happens if they are ruled eligible, and then it comes back? Oh, maybe they shouldn't have been. Who cares? For the most part, they can pin it off on somebody else, fire one guy, and just move on. The NCAA has to look into that stuff. And on your point about the time. That's a, In an ideal world, yes, they move much quicker, but they have uh, tons and tons and thousands of athletes they have to rule on, that they have to look into, that they have to do this and they have to do that on. And my only problem with them allowing people to play and then coming back and saying, no, you can't play, well, what if they find out 25 games into this year, similar to Cliff Alexander last year, that, okay, maybe we shouldn't have done that. And with the Derrick Rose incident, they had cleared him to play and let him play the entire year. They go to a national championship game, and then they say, oh, well, we made a mistake. He actually shouldn't have been eligible to play. you got to wait to make sure you're they're going to be okay before you start winning games and getting momentum and, and moving on.
3: I mean, yeah, I guess. But the entire point of a university is to ter- determine who they believe is academically qualified for um, and academically prepared to be a member of their Uh, their their student body and to be a member of their society and and to be able to function within the academic range of the school. So why is the NCAA coming in here and doing what the university was put in place to do in the first place? Like that entire admissions office is there to determine whether or not these kids were actually eligible. And, you know, he's already been accepted. Like 50 Oliver has been in classes for two semesters at Kansas. Taco Fall is an engineering major. He's getting. I, I talked to his guardian today. He's getting A's and B's in chemistry, calculus, and engineering classes right now at the University of Central Florida. But the NCAA is coming back and saying that he's not going to be cleared and not going to qualify because he had issues with a high school. Like, the whole thing they're looking at is not whether or not Shek Diallo actually did the work at his high school. They're going back to, like, sixth grade transcripts and stuff like that. you got to remember, like, this kid came over here didn't even speak English. So there's obviously going to be a learning curve here. And the other problem I have is that when you look at who actually gets flagged by the NCAA, it's overwhelmingly kids that come from impoverished backgrounds, whether it's, you know, terrible school systems, inner city systems that just don't know how to educate students, or kids that are coming from overseas. And, you know, the kid, um, Mustafa Diani, the kid that was supposed to go to Syracuse, the reason that he's not at Syracuse right now, and the reason he's at a junior college, it's because the NCAA didn't accept the class that he took as a freshman at a school in Senegal. Like, really? That's why this kid is not able to play basketball at Syracuse right now? That's why he's at a junior college? Because you didn't accept the class that he took as a freshman in Senegal when he's here trying to break a cycle of poverty? Like, it's just—it's ridiculous to me that they can come in here and, and think that they can do a better job at what these schools are designed to do.
2: The schools are designed to determine who can... And I understand your point, and I, I, I kind of agree with you on a lot of it, but the thing that you have not answered for me yet is that emissions can lie, Rob. They can lie about if a guy is eligible. They can lie to get a guy to play because they know that that player, they know Cech Diallo could make their program a ton of money that they, they could get to a national championship. They can lie about that, and the NCAA knows that, so they need to do their homework to make sure everything checks out. And you don't
3: think they're doing that right now? You don't think that's already happening? Like, that? that no that it's doesn't change. And here's that. the other part of it. Like, if the school determines that this player can get accepted academically, if the school says that they can come in, like, that that's on the school. That's on the school for bringing them in. Like, the whole point that the admissions office is in existence is to determine whether or not these kids can come in. And, look, I understand that that they want these players to come in. Like, it would it would make sense that if you work in the Kentucky basketball office or the, the Kentucky admissions office, you're probably a Kentucky basketball fan. Do you see that name? You know, like a, a Jamal Murray come across your desk, you're probably going to be like, "Oh, Jamal Murray! Isn't that kid supposed to be good? All right, cool, let's accept him." Like, I, I get that, I, I get that, how that 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 process thought process would work, but you know, isn't that on the school? Why should it be on the NCAA to determine what the school is designed to de- de- determine? Like, that's that's the whole point of their existence to determine who can come in and study there, and you know, it's a, it 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 doesn't. I I don't think that the NCAA should be in the business of determining initial eligibility. Uh, Just, uh, just there's too many problems with it. And look, it'd be one thing if they could get this done in August. Like if we if we knew about all these kids that were going to be eligible in August, that's one thing, all right. But if you can't, if the games are starting in 72 hours and you still have so many players where you don't have answers yet, like we we got to change the system. Something's not working. We got to change it. Maybe my idea is not the best but it's just the, the system doesn't work right now and it's got to be changed.
2: I, I I it's not perfect. I can agree with you on that and and if there's a better way to do it, I'm all ears to to find out how it is. It's tough for the NCAA, no doubt about it. Rob, thanks for so much for joining us. It sounds like Chase needs your attention. So uh, I appreciate you taking some time and keep No, he actually have he said, nice said he
3: he said he agrees with you on initial eligibility.
2: Oh, good. That's I thought he sounded smart too. I Yeah, but ahead, he said you're still wrong
3: as in Murray. <laughs> fair enough
2: i'll t- i'll take fifty fifty there rob thanks and and have yourself a good afternoon
3: all right take care guys
2: rob dosser n b c sports uh, as always, a lively debate back and forth between him and me trevor i I really want Jamal Murray to be awesome
1: <laughs> you you need Jamal Murray to be awesome at this point i uh, he needs him to be bad. No, no, because I disagree, and, and, and I'm, I'm. Or curious. he needs him to be average. Yeah, he, he needs him not to be the superstar that you're projecting him to be. Now, is there? Are you setting him up for for goals and heights that he that probably no one can maybe meet aside from LeBron James or Durant, maybe? But I, I don't think the Doster is is saying that he he sucks or he's going to be awful. I just I think he's trying to corral you back from the the higher up clouds that maybe you're exceeding beyond. Where you should be with expectations for Jamal Murray.
2: Well, I, I think Jamal Murray is going to be great. I think he's going to put up really good numbers. I would guess somewhere around fifteen points.
1: I mean, should we determine the definition six, of great though? I mean,
2: six rebounds and maybe four assists, which I think would be pretty damn good. Not now, probably not John Wall good. Granted, but. Uh, I do think Tyler Ulys is going to be better than Eric Bledsoe, and I think Jamal Murray will be better than Eric Bledsoe. So, I, I give me two and three, and then you take one and four, and that's how you break up those teams if you could and let it play out. I, I don't know. I don't think it's crazy to say that whatsoever, but we got this year to figure it out. It's hard. We, it's
1: hard with the Bledsoe comparisons because it's while we we sit there and say we're just talking about his one year at Kentucky, it's human nature not to to not realize what he's done since his one year at Kentucky and let that bleed into the projections of Eric. Bled- how good Eric Bledsoe may have been in his one year at Kentucky. Because you watch well, we, him now, he's he's looked, he's, had a, he's looked very good with the Suns the last couple of years.
2: But yeah, we, we can't just go with NBA, because that's not No, fair.
1: I know, but it's human nature but, not, not to see that, not, not put that into your evaluation, and let that muffle what you really remember is that one year of his at Kentucky.
2: Now, somebody that covered or that followed and interviewed John Wall, Eric Bledsoe, that 2010 team, he's going to come on next, Aaron Torres, to talk about his book. I'm excited to, to hear about it and just the process of writing, one and fun.
1: Who gets you riled so Joe, up more, me or Rob, by the way?
2: Who gets me riled up more? Yeah. I wasn't riled up with Rob. I disagree oh, I with know. him. But you, you get per- I, I
1: can tell when you're getting riled up.
2: I wasn't riled up with Rob. I I, I, I really... I'm Listen to me. I'm telling you, I was not. I disagreed <laughs> with him, and uh, we don't see eye to eye, but he presents his points in a much cleaner manner than you do, Trevor. You just kind of throw <laughs> it on the wall and just hope it sticks, and it, it just, it, it's ridiculous at times. I, I, I didn't Rob disagree is just with that. A, he's a bit more professional in how he go, goes about it, but we need to head to the break because we need to have Aaron Torres on here soon. So stick around. 1450 of the Sports Buzz. We'll be right back.
0: Where the people come apart, don't nobody care about you. Only thing you got is God out here in these streets.
1: If you get down on your luck, you can stand out with a hand on. But nobody got here in these streets. Every man is for himself. They ain't helping no one else. Now, back to the Sports Talker with TJ Walker. You mean to tell me that you went home and swiped a ball that was signed by Babe Ruth? And you brought it out here and actually played with it. And actually
0: played with it?
1: Yeah. Yeah, but I
0: was gonna bring it back. But it was signed by Babe Ruth. No sleep till.
2: We're back here, fourteen fifty, the sports buzz after a Brooklyn. lively debate with Rob Doster. I imagine this uh, this next segment with Aaron Torres will be a bit more calm. Aaron, how you doing?
0: I don't know what Rob did, but he's got every—he's got America riled up. You know, I'm getting hit up on Twitter left and right about how uh, you know. He, I think he's got the entire state riled up over there. So hopefully, I'll bring some calm, some tranquility, and some joy to the show today. How you guys doing today? We're doing great, and
2: I'm sure you will. Just Rob and I can't seem to get on the same page on a lot of things. The biggest one is just Jamal Murray and his upcoming. Year, I know you you cover college basketball and uh, for Fox Sports. Uh, I'm going to ask you all about the book, but what what are your expectations for Jamal Murray this upcoming season?
0: Okay, so uh, I don't know if Rob's had a chance to see him in person. I'm not going to. Rob knows more about this sport, and I actually love Rob to death. And I know you guys know that I'm joking, but you know I had a chance. I was down there for Big Blue Madness. Jamal Murray is. I actually think this, and and TJ, you know, people have been asking me a little bit about, um, you know, who the freshmen are they need to be watching out for. I think that by the end of the year, I think that the common consensus right now is that Ben Simmons is going to be the number one pick, the freshman from LSU, and then Scal, obviously the center from Kentucky, is going to be the number two pick. I think by the end of the year, there will be a sentiment amongst some that, That uh, Jamal Murray should be the second pick in the draft, as in he is the second most talented college basketball player this year. Um, You know, I know that there was a lot of buzz uh, following the Midnight Madness, the Big Blue event, uh, Big Blue Madness event, in which you know he was spectacular. I mean, I know some people were saying he's going to be the best point guard since John Wall at Kentucky. All I can tell you is, you know, he is just so spectacular. He's mature. I think that's the best word that I would use. And I know I'm all over the place here, but you know, he's just a very mature player. He has the international experience. And nothing fazes the kid. I think he's going to be spectacular. I think Coach Cal knows he's going to be spectacular. I think Coach Cal actually trusts him in a way that most pre- that he doesn't trust most freshmen. And you would, you would know. Uh, I
2: mean, you have interviewed John Calipari. You've interviewed a lot of those players on that 2010 team. You even wrote a book about it, One and Fun, a behind-the-scenes look at John Calipari in the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. When did you say to yourself, this is a good story, somebody needs to write about it, might as well be me?
0: Yeah, that's a great question, TJ. So it really started, as you mentioned, I, I work for Fox, and it was around this time last year. You know, we knew Kentucky last year with Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley-Stein returning and the Twins. We knew they were going to be a good team. And I said, why don't we go back and do a story about the season that started it all, uh, the John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Eric Bledsoe team. And so I pitched my editors. They loved it. And, and a few things happened. One, Kentucky was really good last year, which it really kind of made the – I think it accentuated the piece because, you know, you could see the parallels between, um, you know, you could kind of connect the dots between what happened in 2010 and it kind of coming full circle in 2015. And what ended up happening was I did the article, I interviewed all these guys John Wall, uh, Eric Bledsoe, Patrick Patterson, Coach Cal, everybody. And, you know, uh, when it, the article came out a little bit before the NCAA tournament, and it was a hit. You know, people in Kentucky loved it. People in Kentucky said, you know, that it was spectacular and thank you for kind of uh, writing about this team. But I really felt like on the inside, there was more to do. There was more, um, you know, behind-the-scenes stories and cool stuff that I couldn't get into that article. I mean, for those people who are having trouble remembering that 2010 team, it was just a dynamic, fun year, you know, from the day Coach Cal was hired to the recruitment of those guys to the fact that there was a a huge fundraiser called Hoops for Haiti that raised a million dollars. There were road trips to play UConn at Madison Square Garden, a big game against North Carolina, which was a defending national champion that year. So there was just so many details, so many good pieces of information that I wanted to get. Out and I didn't have a forum to do it. Uh, so after that original article, I really just started putting the puzzle pieces together. Uh, started plugging away the a book, and here we are, about eight nine months later, and the book is ready. As you said, one in front of behind the scenes look at the 2010 season.
2: I can't wait to get my hands on it and, and be able to read it because that was the team for Kentucky that that rallied the big blue nation, that got UK fans united, that that kind of brought Kentucky basketball back on the map, and it was a very a lot of characters that did it. John Wall had a personality. Eric Bledsoe had a personality. Marcus Cousins had a personality. In your process of writing this book, uh, who was the most fun person to talk to and who was maybe the most difficult person to get a quote from?
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the the, the fun people in, in their own way, you know, a lot of the adults were fun because they obviously have perspective that, you know, even a now 24, 25, 26 year old kid uh, might not have. And so uh, I love talking to Coach Cal. I love talking to Orlando Antigua. Uh, Scott Padgett was an assistant for that one year, and he was spectacular. Uh, Dwayne Peavy, who was the sports information director that year and has since, uh, you know, been promoted and has a different responsibility. All those guys were great. You know, from the player perspective, um, you know, I did talk to John Wall, you know, I I actually John was actually a little more open than I thought he would be I was very pleasantly surprised with what he told me and kind of his honesty about a lot of things um, you know, from uh, outside of that, you know, Mark Krebs, who was a, a walk-on, who was awarded a scholarship, who now I know works in the media in Kentucky, uh, he was awesome. Um, a lot of those guys that, that that you know were a little bit older. You know, Ramon Harris had been through both the Tubby Smith era and the Billy Gillespie era. So a lot of I, I really can't say that I had a negative interview experience. There was one or two guys that I really would have liked to talk to, and there were there were differing reasons as to why I didn't. But I would say, of everyone I talked to, they were gracious and they were great with their time, they were willing to share stories, they were willing to, to answer my questions, and I think they all really enjoyed that season and enjoyed reliving that season as much as I did, and I think it shows up for those who have read the book, you know, it, it, it's been a very positive response in that way as well.
2: Hey, that. That's- sounds fantastic and I, I look forward to reading it just to hear some of those stories what's one thing from maybe the 2010 team again because fans UK fans that are going to be buying this book and, and again we're talking with Aaron Torres the author the the ones that are gonna be buying this they followed that year again like I said it was kind of the rebirth of Kentucky basketball sure. they followed the hoops for Haiti they remember the the call from President Obama, before that South Carolina game with their first loss of the year. What is maybe a story, uh, at least tease a little story for us, that maybe a lot of fans (coughs) don't know about, or a situation or something maybe that happened that a lot of fans don't know about?
0: Sure, so I'll give you a couple quick ones. So the first one is, and people love this story, so I'll tell it, um, is that a lot of people remember there was a very famed game against Mississippi State later in the year. It was called the Call Me Game, and the reason it was called the Call Me Game was because uh, as Kentucky was boarding the buses to, uh, you know, head take the trip to Starkville, Demarcus Cousins' phone starts ringing and it keeps ringing and it keeps ringing, and he finally puts it down and they get on the plane and they they land in Starkville and he he turns on the phone and his voice mocks. Voice box is full. Well, it turned out that Mississippi State fans had gotten, gotten his phone number, were leaving all kinds of crazy messages, and, you know, some of them were mean, some of them were funny, and, you know, the, but the funny story about it is obviously the, the reason it's called the Call Me game is because during the game later that night, after Demarcus Cousins had his first dunk, he kind of turned to the crowd, put two hands to his ear as if they were telephones, and screamed, Call Me at the fan base. So, you know, everyone kind of knows that story, but the backstory behind it that I love is that. Everyone on that team told me that not only was DeMarcus still taking calls after the game, so Kentucky goes on, has this epic overtime win, everyone's riding high, and what's DeMarcus Cousins doing? He's sitting in the back of the bus picking up phone calls from Mississippi State fans saying, yeah, we beat your butt, thanks for calling, yeah, we beat your butt, thanks for calling and hanging up on all these people. And then the better part about it is, oh by the way, DeMarcus Cousins didn't change his phone number after that. So he uh, he had the same phone number for two, three, four months uh, after that call me game. I think he embraced it. I think even though people in Kentucky know that he's not the villain that he's made out to be, uh, I think he kind of enjoyed that role of being the villain for other fans. And that's just a little, you know, that's a little clip. And I could go on and on. I could give you more if you want. But that's just a little segment of you know, the kind of stuff you're going to find out, like I said, it's, you know, it's in the locker room, it's on the team buses, it's before games, it's after games, and, you know, I just think it's going to give Kentucky fans, even people that follow this team, that know this team, that love this team, you're going to learn some things about this 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 year specifically that you might not have known in the past.
2: One and fun behind the scenes, look at John Calipari, the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Aaron, one last question before we let you go, and I really appreciate you taking the time and talking about this and can't wait to get my hands on it. Uh I- I've always wondered if this team would have a 30 for 30 done for to kind of change college basketball. Uh, you were the first one to really start to write about it, get that story out there. Uh, what kind of legacy do you think this 2010 Kentucky basketball team will leave on the sport? And also, what do you think it's meant for John Calipari as a coach moving forward in his career?
0: Well, you know, those are two fantastic questions, each What I would answer the first one is really quick. They are so important to kind of the modern world of college basketball. Now, And you know, a big theme of the book is that, you know, when, when Coach Cal got to Kentucky, this idea, the idea of recruiting three or four of these guys that might only be on campus for one year, it was absurd. It had never been done before. You know, I mean, even Coach Cal, when he was at Memphis, had kind of embraced the one-and-done idea, but you had a Derrick Rose surrounded by three, four juniors and seniors. You had a Tyreek Evans the same, and so this was the first time that it had ever been done. And what was so cool about this group is that all those myths that everybody thought they had about one and done, you know, they don't go to class. They don't care about the school. They're only here because they have to be. It just wasn't the case with this group of guys. I can't speak to other schools, how they handle things. Uh, But in this particular case, these kids went to class. They handled themselves on and off the court. And I think it shows even to this day you know, John Wall, oh, by the way, had the highest GPA the second semester, even though he knew he was going pro. He had a 4.0 GPA. But, oh, by the way, he's donating money to charity, and we know he just just donated $400,000 to charity. And DeMarcus Cousins has been very active, and Eric Bledsoe, too. And so it just shows that, that you can be a good kid. You can go to class, do what's expected of you, and still be a one-and-done kid. And that was just something that was kind of foreign concept back then. So, I mean, I think we've seen it progress with Coach Cal's teams, And, of course, you know, to other schools now, with a school like Duke winning a national championship with three freshmen in the starting lineup last year, obviously for Coach Cal's legacy, I know we're up on time here. I'll try to make it quick. I just think that, you know, if that team doesn't do what they did, win at the level they went at, win with the class and respect and dignity that they went at, it's really hard for Coach Cal to sell his program to the next generation of the Brandon Knights and the Michael Kidd Gilchrist. But the fact that that team won 34, 35, whatever games, they did what they were supposed to do. They were unselfish. They sacrificed for the team. All the stuff that has happened since then. Coach Cal told me himself, the quote in the book, it is not possible without that 2009, 2010 team. I think you're absolutely right. I think this is going to make a heck of a documentary someday uh, and hopefully the book is a launching pad for that
2: i'm sure will be Aaron torres uh, i love the energy right? i love how excited you are about it uh, that's probably a good sign for the book where can where can we buy it where can we find it what can we do to learn more about it
0: uh, thank you for asking, TJ. So, yeah, the book is called One in Front of Behind the Scenes Look at John Calipari and the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. Uh, it's available on Amazon.com and paperback and Kindle. Uh, also, KentuckyBasketballBook.com. Tried to make that URL very easy for anybody listening into it. your car work that doesn't have access to a computer. KentuckyBasketballBook.com. Information, excerpts, everything like that. Uh, you know, I'll be sure to make, and get you a copy, TJ. I want you to read it. Love to come on anytime you want to talk Kentucky Hoops. I don't know what Rob had to say about Jamal Murray, but he going to be spectacular I hope someday I'm writing about the 2016 team too but for now uh, one and fun and as I said on amazon.com and we're going to get into bookstores as well before the holiday season
2: yeah I agree I don't know if this 2016 would have the same makeup I don't know if the 2014 (laughs) if any of these John Calipari's would have the same makeup if not for the success of the 2010 team you wrote about it can't wait to read about it Aaron Torres I appreciate you hopping on here thank you TJ I appreciate it man Alrighty. righty. Uh, again, one and fun, a behind the scenes look at John Calipari and the 2010 Kentucky Wildcats. You can, uh, it's very easy to go find the Kentucky basketball book.com. That's your best way to, to go and purchase it. And it, it is, he, he did a lot of, I know I haven't read it yet, but I do know the amount of work he put into it and how many people he interviewed uh, and how much background he did. And, uh, it's just going to be one of those books. You're never going to, even though you've had a national championship winning team in 2012, even though in 2014, they went back to the title game in 2015, you started to 38 and 0, nearly went 40. You know, you're never going to have a year like that 2010 team. You're just never going to have it. It was John Calipari's first year. Everything was new. Everybody's talking about how you couldn't win with freshmen. Sure enough. They just blazed through the regular season with just two losses. And, and, you know, make some statement games in the NCAA tournament before falling short, unfortunately. Uh, so make sure you get your hands on that book. Trevor, do we need to take a commercial break, or are we good?
1: We don't need to take one. You're good. I'm good? You're good.
2: Good stuff. Uh, Captain Art tweets in. He agrees with me. He said we need to have Aaron back on as, as a regular. He brings the energy. I'd be okay with that, and and he's on he's on board with the uh, Jamal Murray train. Please, I don't know l- if please let me
1: know. Please tell me I can tell uh, Robbie's being bummed for Aaron.
2: I, I don't know if maybe Aaron's just trying to sell books or something, but, you know, I, I appreciate his sense of wisdom being on that Jamal Murray train. It just doesn't seem like Rob gets it,
1: Trevor. <laughs> you just, Rob doesn't agree with uh, your, your uh, breakdown of greatness that his Kentucky recruits. How exactly. dare he come on a Captain mobile? Captain Art says,
2: Torres equals energy. Dosti equals negative Nancy. <laughs> I will say that one thing that I didn't really get to spend a lot of time on with Rob and the NCAA is you can't just say, oh, well, let the schools allow people in. That's not going to. How do you think that would possibly be a good solution?
1: Well, you have to trust the schools. I mean, with the, I mean, yeah, because that would work. Well, I'm. <laughs>
2: You've got Louisville bringing in strippers and prostitutes. Should we trust the schools?
1: Well, first of all, you had a Louisville... major cheating scandal. First of all, in L- Louisville did, was Should not bringing in anybody. Okay, Louisville had no idea what was going on with. Uh, who was was Andre McGee working for? Louisville. Andre McGee was a rogue person. Okay, rogue so, uh, says you. Complaint. Says you. <laughs> Well, there's no proof otherwise to say that I'm not lying or telling the truth. No so. proof to say it. yeah. So exactly. we, we, we can't automatically say that. But he's working
2: for Louisville. I'm just saying you can't trust universities to do the right thing. What if it was one rogue admissions that said, oh, man, this this dude got a 12 on his ACT? Yeah, you know what? Let's just switch those numbers around. 21. Well, he's good uh, to go.
1: Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Jay Billis. Instead of pointing the fingers I'm and the opposite. Telling, Jay and Jay telling Billis me is... everything is wrong, why don't you tell me how to fix it then?
2: fix what I, I I, uh, support the in I think I realize that they get things wrong and I'm not saying it's the most perfect system in the world, but to just say, bring it down, burn it, throw it away is crazy because what they have to do is incredibly difficult. They don't just do basketball and football, Trevor. now they've got every other sport that they've got to get their hands on and look at grades, look at this, look at that. So the fact that they're taking their time on check Diallo and Taco Falls, I'm okay with it. Now, again, with both situations, it seems like these guys should be cleared, but the NCAA needs to do their homework, and they need to get it right the first time. They need to get it first right the first time, so you don't have a situation like Derrick Rose. You don't have a situation where, uh, like Cliff Alexander, where you have a guy playing for half the year, and then the team needs to figure out, okay, well, now we need to sit him on the bench. It's really going to hurt our, our NCAA tournament chances, and maybe we're already going to have to sacrifice this, these wins because the NCAA said this guy was going to be eligible. So,
1: so is it safe to say the NCAA needs to hire more staff? Is that what you're saying?
2: They probably, yeah, I, I would guess so. I think they probably have the money for it. I think that would be one solution to hire staff, but uh, it, it's a delicate process and they do need to be right because guess what? Schools lie, Trevor. People at schools lie. Like Rob said, people at schools are fans and they want to see their teams do well. And They're I get that. Lie. And
1: if you're the NCAA, I think you have to, to hope you're being told the truth. And in some cases, it becomes about, that you have been lied to, or been fibbed to, or the truth has been bent to the point where you need to look into it yourself, then you need then somebody does need to get involved. And like you said, they, they're, they're, you're talking about one basketball player that is not even. I mean, in terms of percentage amongst the athletes that are overlooked by an NCAA, is probably what less than one percent. When you think when you do the math, and that being said, even it is a, even though it is a big name basketball player, you know, the NCAA supposedly not supposed to pick favorites. But I agree with Rob though. They got if you're going to not if you're not going to believe what the school is telling you, and you're going to do your own homework, then you need to get it done before that's that particular season starts. Especially when you had as much time as the NCAA's had.
2: Yeah, but again, you've got a lot of other guys. There's a lot of other situations. You've got a UNC scandal that you're not on top of. You've got other. You got SMU. You got Syracuse. You had to deal with. Now you've got Louisville. I mean, you just have well, so many need other. need to
1: things. hire some more people to, to specifically deal with that. You with know,
2: that. they probably they probably do. That's probably the the easy answer to it is they do need to hire more people to try to speed things up. But the fact, you know what? If check Diallo misses three games, I think Kansas is going to be okay. But they've been been,
1: looking into his uh, and his eligibility for how many, for how long now? Well, they, they they said, how long long does it take to find out if he showed up at algebra?
2: Well, here's the thing that a lot of people were and Jay Billis is so obnoxious on Twitter, but here's one of the things that a lot of people on Twitter were getting upset about one that they go back. They went back to sixth grade. Uh, That does kind of seem ridiculous to me. The other one was that they've looked over 2,000 pieces of homework from high school. Why? Eh, 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 Okay, and you're one of those people saying why. Let's make sure it's him doing the homework, Trevor. Let's make sure it's actually his homework. Let's make sure it's his handwriting. Let's make sure it's his grades. Let's make sure the grades add up.
1: I'm okay with that, that. Isn't that the high
2: school's responsibility? That it, Trevor, when are you going to understand that people lie along the way to make sure people that they care? See, this is why I get riled up with you, because you just say you, you don't listen or you don't think before you talk. No, and I, 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 I love you to death, Trevor, but don't you think the high school would lie?
1: Maybe, but that's stop. I'm just saying, I mean, but stop. That, that's that's not, it's a high school's issue. Then they got more problems than just putting one kid to.
2: They do have more. They have several players that are ineligible. It's not just Chuck Diallo. He went to a school called Our Savior New American who brings in players from other countries. Not all of them. Some of them are, are Americans, born and bred. But they bring in players from other countries, and it's kind of like a, a, a not a foster, but they live in, you know, some of them have host families. And the coach of their basketball team, it, they, I, I talked to their coach back in Paducah last year, he was telling me that, you know, they started, they only had one classroom. Now it's still a really small school. He's a teacher and a coach there. He's a, pre, he's a father too, or, uh, I, I don't know if it's Catholic, so I don't know if he'd be a father, but you know, he runs the church there as well. And it, it just, uh, the NCAA is unsure if those credits have even been passed by the New York city and, and the state of New York and their standards of, you know, academics. So there's a lot more going on there, and there are several players from our Savior New American that have not been eligible.
1: So, so the state of New York is also lying to the NCAA is what you're saying.
2: It's lying to the NCAA? Yeah. I think the state of New York is working with the NCAA. Uh, you I think that. the New the state of New York has nothing to gain from Chuck Diallo being a successful college basketball player, but they do have plenty to gain from – our savior, New America, New New America, from abusing their academic s- standards system, all that good stuff. I like how you had to slow the down in, to
1: get that out. By the way, the
2: NCAA the... has nothing to gain uh, from Check Diallo being a successful basketball player, well, but they have a lot to lose, so they're doing their homework. But guess who does have a lot to gain? Trevor, I bet you can figure this out. Guess Jesus. who has a lot to gain? Can't you correct? And what other what other? What other organization or school?
1: Uh, Whatever high school it was. That Our Savior in
2: America. There you go. You got it. Well, the, if that, they have a player no, that goes it, on and has a good NCAA career and then goes to the NBA and is a lottery pick like Chuck Diallo will be, man, that looks good for a high so, school. So
1: let me ask you, this, is, could the NCAA put together a, a platform that says, all right, if we have to go looking to you, to records that you've given us from a high school, and I don't care if it's a public high school or a private high school or whatever it may be. If it turns out that you had lied to us at any point in any way, we can put some kind of ban on athletes coming out of your high school going into NCAA athletics. Is that possible? Well, what, you can't, can't that do a, that. But, how, you, how, how, why not? I mean, how is that not a well, way you, to well, prevent you, high school competing and lying? And this
2: is similar to the prime prep situation where it was Deion Sanders' school. Yeah, You could have the state that's in charge of their academic standards for high school saying, listen, this does not meet our criteria. You are going to have a very tough time getting you. – it'll be virtually impossible, kind of what you're saying. It'll be virtually impossible for any of your graduates to make it to the NCAA level as a student-athlete because you don't meet our standards. So we can't give you our seal of approval. Now you need to change this, you need to change that, and I think Prime Prep did change some things. But you need to change these things before we can accreditate you. And, I mean, if you're
1: not going to punish the high school, then what's to stop any high school from lying to the NCAA to benefit themselves by putting their kids – What's out, and a lot I mean, of high schools their do, kids do that. Or, yeah, I mean, what? But but they yeah, again, there was the Eric Bledsoe took the,
2: algebra two before algebra one.
1: Trevor, yeah, I, know, I remember the situation. But that again, that leads to my point. I mean, at this point, we're letting the we're, we're we're attempting to punish the kids. for being pushed through a system that I mean, if you told if you go up to any kid under the age of eighteen, maybe you go to anybody and say, hey, you can either a do all this work and get the credit for it and work hard and, and, and get all the rewards at the end, or you can sit back and hang out and do with, hang out with your friends and we'll just say that you did all this work and we'll push you through. What do you think anybody – everyone's going to say, I'll take option B. I no, know which the, one i choose. Thank you, Jack. I took option B. I mean, because I, mean, I didn't get the push-through part. So, I mean, at what point and, – and, and instead of, of punishing these schools, we're punishing the kids – By telling them they can't play when they were just being part, they were pawns almost in a scheme. You're
2: you're spot on about that, and it's incredibly unfortunate. And and this is why the NCAA is doing their homework. Is yes, maybe Cech Diallo will fall on the sword here, but it would tell every other potential D1 athlete, D2 athlete that's going to be under an NCAA supervision, don't go to this school. It's unfortunate for Cech Diallo, but guess what? There are shady people that are at these schools that are going to other countries. And bringing these kids over, and it's it's a similar situation. The, the situation to, to, to Scalabis here. But he say, actually went to
1: a real school. If you want to play, to, if you want to play for the NCAA, don't go to that high school because we're not going to allow any members, anybody from that high school to play.
2: Yeah, until you get accredited, do this, do that, and check back. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. It is. I want Check Yellow play because he's super fun. Uh, his guardian was always nice to me during his recruiting process. His guardian's also being uh, investigated for potential improper benefits i don't think that has any truth to it at all uh the 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 father that i was talking about that that was their coach was super nice now there was a very shady person at that school i'm not going to get into it uh who they need to investigate him he's just basically recruiting and i wouldn't be shocked if there was some foul play that went into it guys to come to the his prep school and there is a lot of recruiting for prep schools, whether it's Oak Hill or Huntington Prep or Savior New American. It's it's disgusting, uh, yeah, but yeah. hopefully they hopefully athletes see this and say, okay, there are some major issues at the school. Maybe Check Diallo gets cleared. Maybe he doesn't. But it would save us a headache if we just went elsewhere. Just like you're saying, Trevor, this is going to be a great way to end the show, being on the same page
1: here. <laughs> Yates does say uh, like he he says sounds like the multi-billion-dollar corporation being the NCAA needs more employees. The problem is with whether are multi-billion or not, the amount of they have to oversee because not just basketball, but you know, field hockey, tennis, wh- whatever. I don't even know. If you, I don't even know if they the multi-billion-dollar corporation can hire that many employees to see on a day-to-day basis everything they have to overlook without not having getting not having to have some kind of trust in the high schools that are are handing these kids over to you. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it, impossible. It's got, it, I don't think it is. I don't think there's enough multi-billion dollars to do
2: it it's hard and maybe the maybe the easy simple solution NCAA hires more people they move faster it's it, people saying well, i wish the power 5 would break apart do this, start their own thing. Okay, you can do that, but you're still going to have some major issues. You're still going to have some major, major issues. It's the always not perfect, be but it, it, but it's. I, I think it's the best thing we have right now. And if somebody else has an idea, if Jay Billis, who constantly <laughs> moans and groans and bitches, I don't know <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that on the air, about the NCAA, if, if he has a solution, why don't you go on and say it and tell us and then you won't come off as such a whiny, just entitled loser. For
1: the record, uh, I like Billis on everything except for his stance. I do on the too, NCAA. and it, I
2: used to love Billis. I and still do love Billis. Ba- when it comes to like talking Billis basketball, <laughs> when, it, when it comes to talking basketball, I would prefer him over so many other people. Yep. But if he, but you, now he's just going to talk about the NCAA, and that makes that moves him just to the bottom of the ladder. I can't stand it uh, because he is. He used to be so. It's easy to entertaining point out problems. It's tougher
1: to find answers.
2: Yeah. All right, we're out. I'm out of time. We'll be back tomorrow, 14.50, the Sports Bus. Thanks for Rob Doster coming on. Thanks for Aaron Torres coming on. Uh, that book.
1: You're welcome that, for coming that,
2: on. I, I, who?
1: You're welcome, too, for me coming Th- on. Thanks
2: for Jack coming on. <laughs> uh, and I think <laughs> that wraps it up. One and fun, the behind-the-scenes look at John Calipari, the 2010 Wildcats. If you're a U.K. fan, you're going to want to read it. Uh, I know I will be reading it. We'll be back tomorrow, 14.50, the Sports Bus. We'll see you then. In the
1: take two to the dome. From the bill to be bg in my zone on, let me hear you say. High time, sitting by the river Got my old shotgun fishing pole in my liquor Cause people always trying to tell me how to run my life When they say I'm doing wrong and I swear I'm going right Come on. High time, sitting by the river Got my old shotgun fishing pole in my liquor Said it's time to take a trip to where the grass is blue And peep how the mere south do Come on It's okay i I've been with your boys to the river And we taking the back way your mind. New York, just ride to the rhythm, have a sip in the sunshine. Come on down where the bluegrass were.